third wheel. Third wheel. Welcome to the third wheel. With me, me, and you. It's essentially a conversation. Cool. It's a conversation. <gasps> so will E.T. phonemes be in there? Because <laughs> that's probably my best not. content for the day. I'm not going to watch Maybe it. it'll be a, like a separate... You yeah, can pay can. the Patreon to get there. <laughs> Behind this the is scenes. genius. Finally, we figured out how to fund this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> pay for puns. Puns for pay. Mm. Puns, puns for pay. pay. I feel like I'm going to be doing that three fingers from the microphone thing throughout <laughs> the interview. So funny. So every now and then you'll hear yeah, like a, 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 a little bop. Yeah. <laughs> a little finger tap. Yeah. <laughs> Follow us in ASMR. Yeah. Sorry, just checking the sound levels. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's what the audience wants, really. I'm picking horrendously at this bottle cap, which is really bad. Just shows how much oh. caffeine I've had today. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a very mild reaction to caffeine, picking a bottle cap. Yeah. Oh, Seems very chill. No. Yeah. Oh, is it chill? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like with the oversized jumper, like you carry an air of chill oh, with you. Thank that you. I'm very into. Yeah. I'm very into my kind of. Baggy yeah, sort of yeah. Moment. You can't see like my shaking and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all the bagginess. Yeah. yeah, which is great. That's what I need. Um, anyway, so today we are here with Nathan Joe and Dan Goodwin. Welcome, welcome. Hey, hey. Um, and these two are poets and theatre extraordinaires. Can I use that? Yeah, I'm kind of, of into yeah. it. I'm trying to embrace the flattery that I'm getting over the last few years. People have been more enthusiastic about me doing art things. And I'm like, you know what? I should probably be less self-deprecating because it's sort of a – it's sort of cringy, I think, to be too self-deprecating when you're actually semi-successful. It almost does a disservice to people who are trying hard if you're saying you're not very good or you're not as good as people think you are when you're actually actively – pursuing it as a creative mm. profession it's like you should own it yeah yeah and coming yeah. out of your what third residency of the year <laughs> i'm clicking yes um yeah i i mean i feel that and i also think like like i look up to you and that's the thing like <laughs> oh, it's so sweet uh, there there definitely is an element of like when you and people like you are like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> you're amazing. Don't say that. If you don't know what you're doing, then I'm literal trash. Like, you know, mm. which is also not true. No, um, but totally. Mm. I think that's a real symptom of like Kiwi mm. embarrassment or Kiwi. What's the term? Tall poppy syndrome. Tall, I guess tall poppy syndrome. And mm. yeah, just Kiwi self-deprecation. But yeah, to say you don't know what you're doing sort of undermines the process of like work ethic, right? Mm. And actually the the best thing you can say is actually I do love what I do and I do work really hard and actually I do in some ways know what I'm doing mm. and you can consciously get to where I am at or you can consciously improve by mm. being intentional with mm. your craft and with your passions. Whereas if you say I don't know what I'm doing mm. – you're kind of leaving, I guess, the ladder of improvement kind of murky and mm. ambiguous to, mm. I guess, people around you. Mm. Mm, 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 mm. I think there's a little bit of leeway with that sometimes, though. I know, if, like, if our, 
I often feel quite strange being called a theater maker mm. nowadays or a poet actually because I feel like I'm somewhere kind of between the two mm. with everything that I'm doing. <laughs> everything oh, I'm, in your life. <laughs> everything. Well, that's the thing. I think so often I've, so often like with what I do, I feel like I don't have a place for it all the time. So a lot of it is kind of an element of discovery and figuring out where it's placed and in what form and what aspects of different forms I kind of take. Because mm. I'm also I'm also trying to be less self-deprecating because I have a really bad habit of that. Mm. Um, and I agree that it can set a really bad example for other people, mm. I think. Um, mm. But I also definitely still want to kind of challenge forms, I think. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I'm also very, we've talked about this in the past, I'm not good at receiving compliments <laughs> in the slightest <laughs> when they come up. Not my forte. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people yeah. are bad at receiving compliments. Um, yeah, just because I guess your experience, especially in creative works, your experience of do, doing the creativity is experimenting and failing and like figuring it out like that's so much part yeah. of the process that when someone's like that was really awesome you're like you should have seen what I was doing last week like, yeah. <laughs> like I was fumbling <laughs> trial and error like actors especially I remember when acting was kind of my main thing mm. years ago this years and years ago um <laughs> I, I don't really do it anymore yeah. that yeah. much um I remember having this feeling that there was kind of a lot of talking around like, oh, failure, failure is important, failure is good. Mm. Like people would say that a lot, but mm. would very rarely acknowledge and sit in moments of failure mm. as if they were valuable, mm. you know? We would still kind of move past them quite quickly and there'd mm. still be quite a lot of shame about it. Mm. Trying mm. to get this to this point of like, cool, succeeded. We have a, we're putting a play on and it's successful yes. and we don't talk about rehearsal now. We're yes. just, we've got the product. Yeah. You know. And realistically, we only celebrate success as mm. well. Yeah. You know, like there's there's not much of a space to yeah. celebrate. And we only celebrate we only celebrate failure in retrospect mm. a lot yeah. of the time. It's quite hard to sit in failure and be like, actually, this feels not great, but that's okay. I'm probably learning lots. Mm. <laughs> mm, 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 mm. Which is a kind of uncertain space I think I sit in a lot. Which yeah. is funny to me because when I look at art that I appreciate or like, the standards I bestow upon other people or the art I like, I don't always set for myself. Mm. Like I really love the notion of sublime failure, something like that can be <laughs> kind of a magnificent train wreck, but it mm. aspires to be so much. And I prefer mm. that over, mm. in theory, I prefer that over averageness or mediocrity or something that's coasting on mm. safety. Right. Right, like, yeah. you know, a hot mess that's either a failure or something that aspires towards, I don't know, really high craft and style, mm. those those two ends of the spectrum. Mm. But it's work in the middle that I'm kind of like, I don't know, I just forget about it ultimately. Mm. Whereas it's those other two categories of hot mess and beautiful crafted diamond mm. that mm. stick in my memory. Mm. Mm. But I don't allow myself that permission to make a hot mess mm. necessarily which is funny I think mm. Mm. yeah that's interesting um intentional hot mess intentional <laughs> hot mess yeah I woke up like this you're welcome yeah <laughs> yeah yeah sure I think um 
something that's interesting. I, I was uh, talking to someone about this the other day about this idea of success um, and how we hold ourselves to like really ridiculous standards of success. Like, um, you know, if if you want to be, let's say, a poet, since that's something we all are, <laughs> <laughs> um, you look at like a poet that you really admire and you're like, oh my God, they're amazing. And then you see almost their level of success is like your minimum. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like that's where I want to be at least, and which is crazy. You mm. know, like imagine if you were a musician and you were like, I want to be Beyonce at least. <laughs> <laughs> what? You know, like that, that's, it's ridiculous. We don't, we don't really allow ourselves to just sort of like experience success in different ways mm. and set different measures of success for ourselves. Mm. Um, the yeah. idea of never being better than your mentors, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> which is a weird phrase, but it feels, yeah, I don't think, I don't know if we ever really grapple with that idea. What do you mean? The idea that some people might teach you and you might not overtake them or have a feeling mm. of overtaking them mm. at some mm. point. Mm. Yeah, I, that's really interesting because I think the, I guess the narrative that we're taught is that eventually we become as good as our mentors. Mm. Mm. So yeah, I don't really think yeah. about that specifically that much, but mm. also, it, it kind of assumes that the idea of being better is linear yeah, and that you mm. can't like learn from someone and then occupy a different space and a different kind of, you know, change, yes. change the form, change the way that you do it, change the method, not yeah. just the kind of, change the process as well as the, what you create yeah. at the end of it, you know? Yeah. Which is silly because most of the time mentors aren't mentoring artists who have the same voice as them. Mm. So there's no way you can really, you know, it, it's that old adage of comparing mm. apples to oranges. Mm. Uh, like you can't. Yeah. Like, and I guess with slam, that's an interesting format because it's inherently um, numerically qualitative, right? Mm. Like it's you measure your success based on scores that random audience members give you, mm. which is so fraught. <laughs> which Everyone is so winces. <laughs> yeah, but we know, deep down we know that it's silly, but it's hard, you know, in the heat of the moment to not compare yourself to another person's score. Yeah. yeah. But everyone's styles are so different that, you know, within the context even of like a genre slam, let's use nerd slam as an example, even mm. within that context, all the poems are so vastly different. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Because we're always, we're always looking for some kind of, not even, as, not even in terms of judgment, we're always looking for a point of comparison. Mm. We're always looking for some kind of connection with the people in the room and the people mm. next to us and the people mm. doing the same, you know, mm. the people on the same side of us and the people receiving what we're trying to put out. We're always mm. looking for some point of contact. And I feel like in Slam, you have one given to you in the form of scores. Mm. And it's it's quite easy because you're looking for something like that to just kind of grapple onto it. Yeah. And then once you have done that, it's quite difficult to let go. Let go, I think. Yeah. Well, it's hard because really we should also we should all aspire to be a genre unto ourselves, mm. you know? Mm. Because that's how we think of our great mentors and our artists that we love, right? Mm. They're a genre unto themselves. Mm. But I think when you're emerging and you're starting off, you're 
trying to be an amalgamation or you're trying to aspire towards someone else's genre most mm. of the time. Mm. You know, I yeah. want to be a poet like such and such. I want to yeah. be as good as such and such rather than being, I want to be the verse, the verse, the best version <laughs> yeah. of myself. You know, like we don't think about our favourite filmmakers necessarily in comparison to each other, I yeah. find. I think in the popular consciousness, we think of them as singular entities. You know, your Christopher Nolans, if yeah. that's the way you're inclined. Or you're <laughs> 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 oh, I love Tenet. <laughs> I don't know what. If you're listening know, to this yeah. and you're that way inclined. <laughs> yeah. I apologise for. Keep listening. Yeah, keep listening. <laughs> but, you know, you're, you're keep David Lynch. For your Christopher you're Jodorowsky's. <laughs> all, all those great sort of genre filmmakers who work in a very singular way with a singular voice, right? Mm. Yeah. We're, we almost couldn't compare them to each other. Yeah. And when we do, we kind of fumble. It's kind of impossible. We bump up against the impossibility of language mm. and style there and it's quite interesting. Mm. But I think with – in New Zealand, I think in particular because we're a smaller industry and with something like spoken word, which is, again, a smaller industry in itself, mm. Mm. we are reaching a lot of the time to mm. find points of reference. Mm. And we don't, I guess, have the confidence. Actually going back to that thing of not celebrating ourselves enough – we didn't have the confidence to build our own voice and genre. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely say that for myself where like I I think even now it, I, I feel like I'm constantly just sort of like trying to find a, a, a form of legitimacy for myself in my poetry. So like mm. and being – whatever you want to call me, Sarah or Sazok, you know, and, and like being that person as a poet still feels weird to me. I still feel like I'm just like saying poems and, and trying to be as good as everyone else kind of thing, which is mm-hmm. ridiculous. Like that's not, that's kind of not the point. No, yeah. <laughs> but hard to shake off, right? Yeah. Hard to shake off. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think especially because it's, such a small arena um in New Zealand that I'm just yeah often just kind of like what am I what am I doing like who who can I look to to, te- to teach me kind of thing you know mm. yeah like I like doing this but how do I know what to do mm. I think <laughs> it goes back to that notion that I use the word notion a lot these days I've noticed Everybody's like gonna notice it. <laughs> I know. Notice the like an un- notion. unnoticed notion. But um, <laughs> a little pocket. A notions eleven. <laughs> notions oh, eleven. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love a pun, okay. by the way. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but it goes back to that thing. See, thing is worse than notion. Let's just keep notion in the vocab. <laughs> yeah. Of the best teachers, not teaching you their style, but helping mm. you find your voice, yeah. right? And I find that really interesting. It's more encouragement than it is anything else going, yeah. hey, you, the thing you're doing, just keep doing it. Mm. And Dan mm. and I and Rose were talking about how so much of being an artist is just getting feedback and compliments and support mm. to push yeah. you through because mm. it's such a hard industry to sustain yourself in because mm. you're not really making money from it. No. So yeah. what you're doing is or what you're needing is actually – compliments mm. it's like the currency of compliments is kind of vastly underrated mm. like the amount of positive feedback or positive support i've gotten through mentors or my cohort mm. that's sustained me as an artist can't mm. really go undervalued honestly like mm. i wouldn't be here if not for the nice words people have said to me mm. Mm. and having figures who 
in a way, their sole job is to be that for certain people is mm. really important. Mm. I think that's such a hard. I used to. I remember. I used to think that, that was silly as well. The idea that feedback, which wasn't a kind of balance of positive and constructive or negative kind of feedback, I remember used to. I used to think that if it wasn't that a balance of the two, then it wasn't legitimate. Mm. I really underestimated the value of actually just having positive feedback and someone in your corner backing you mm. until I think probably the beginning of this year when I started mm. performing poems and I noticed in different spaces that I, and I, th I think I've seen it with other poets as well sometimes the only thing stopping a poem from being amazing as opposed to just okay is actually someone like bump pumping you up mm. before you perform it yeah like i definitely have poems like that where i'm like this is going to be fine but it's not going to be anything spectacular mm. and then someone often you or rose um or one of different friends mm. Mm. so Just, cha champions yeah. right we we yeah. need champions yeah, yeah. Mm. and don't get me wrong critical discourse and feedback is very essential to yeah, refining yeah. craft as well but in terms yeah. of actually feeding the artist's soul mm. Yeah. I think that's a different thing. Like feeding the outer soul with compliments. Yeah. It sounds really egocentric, but it's kind of. I want to give a shout out to Ken Arkind right at this moment mm, because mm, he is yes. he is 100% that person <laughs> yeah. for me. Because, yeah, mm. so often I'm just like, exactly that. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, what is even going on? He's like, you're doing so well. Like, I can't wait to see you perform next. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Mm, but also, yeah. like, thank you. No, I Ken, will. <laughs> Ken's absolutely one of those people for me as well. Same, yeah. definitely. Mm. Yeah, I used like, to get frustrated at him when he wouldn't offer <laughs> critique. Yes. He used to say positive <laughs> things to me, and I'd be yes. like, "Great, cool. So what's wrong with it? Tell yeah. me what's wrong." Yeah, yeah. And he wouldn't. Yeah. He'd refuse. Yeah. And like, it's only now that I'm kind of thankful like, for Ken, that. Like Ken, I fucking bombed in the slam. How <laughs> dare you tell me that I smashed it? <laughs> How dare you? Do not tell me I'm good. But Ugh. I hold on to it, you know. I'm like, he thinks it's good. Thanks, Ken. But the thing is, you didn't mm. bomb at the slam. Are you talking about... Uh, I've never, se I've <laughs> never <laughs> seen you bomb at a slam. Yeah. Um, what is this? Oh, God, this is going to get real personal, but that's fine. Uh, it's, yes. not, <laughs> but it's not that I bomb it. in a way that I think that I do really badly, but I just never, like, do particularly well points-wise. So, mm. like, I don't really... And for me, like, uh, this is going to sound very, like, righteous, but I don't actually look at the points that much, and I think I do that consciously because I know that if I do, that I'll, like, get enough get in a way about it and I don't want to. That's not so, righteous at all. That's, <laughs> that's, really not right. that's yeah. very fair. <laughs> but what I mean is like it, it makes me sound high and mighty in order to be able to do that. But like I'm I think I'm doing I'm doing it subconsciously to protect myself. Mm -hmm. But like in terms of points I don't do very well at slams. And yeah. I sometimes I'm just like, Ken, can you please just like tell me what you think I'm doing wrong? But he'll just be like, you smashed it. Like, mm. come along next time. And yeah. I'll be like, yes, I will. Mm. And then I'm like rolled up again. Uh, that's and so funny. So yeah. I'm like keen to come back. But um, And that's what Ken, I think that's what Ken does. He yeah. inhabits that space so he mm. can be that person. Mm. And mm. he doesn't want to undermine that position. Not yeah. to analyze Ken Arkind, but <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's his Ken role, Arkind you know, to be a champion. Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> He's a champion and he doesn't want to, yeah, besmirch yeah. the... The notion of being a yeah. champion to people. Because yeah. yeah. sometimes all you need to feel good about your poetry actually has nothing to do with the poetry and everything to do with feeling like you're a part of the community yeah. and that you provided something to the event, right? Yeah. And I feel like that's what... Because Carrie does it as well. 
shout out to Carrie Rosinski, yeah. the other yes. the force behind Jack. You yeah. know, like Carrie and Ken as a duo mm-hmm. make everyone feel, I think, that they contribute to that mm. slam in one way or another mm. when they organize an event. Mm. Mm. Yeah. For sure. And competition is a hard thing to <laughs> be in relation with, you know? It's yeah. so hard to not slip into bad habits. I've yeah. wrecked myself with mm. my mindset around slam sometimes, mm. you know? Mm. Which Even which today. really sucks because, like, the way Ken describes slam as being, like, essentially like a sport, like a poet's sport, mm. is a way more fun way to look at it because when you think about sport, you think about, like, camaraderie and community and, yeah. you know, like that sort of, like, yeah, team spirit that you mm. get. Mm. Um, even though there's an element of competition, it's, like, it's it's friendly competition and in the end everybody yeah. knows that it is just a game. Um, whereas sometimes when you're competing Most with people. your art form. <laughs> Most people know that. <laughs> yeah. Whereas when you're competing with your art form rather than like a ball that you're kicking around, sometimes it just it's so easy to take them way more personally, mm. you know? Mm. Especially I think when you're trying to do poetry outside of slam spaces and in different kind of events, especially when money and the like idea can set like far off idea of a career in poetry in any kind of form is involved. Like the idea of slam as a qualifier for whether you get to do that or not. Yes. Can be real debilitating. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's definitely part of it being like the point is not the point. The point is the people, but also if you win, then maybe you'll get published. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you'll get a book deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think slam's a difficult one because it it sort of sits in between many spaces. Mm. You know, I think there are certain creative industries that are quite specifically industries, you know, something like film and television, right? Mm. Whereas slam poetry, spoken word, is situated in this kind of intersection between community and sport and then also a job for some people, if, yeah. if it can become that. Mm. But it's, yeah, I guess important to recognise that it, to be a slam poet is to navigate many spaces at once. Yeah. And some people do it specifically for some of those reasons, mm. but inadvertently it occupies all of them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So how did you two get to know each other? Did you know each other through... Poetry, through theatre, through other. Ooh, watch us fumble through our me- <laughs> fumble through, through memory YouTube. lane. Wow, are we stumbling into each other? Wow. Um, uh, hmm. The first thing I remember is you moving into my apartment, and Whoa. I literally don't remember anything before that. Before that. That's so funny. And Should I remember we... alien dildo in a box. Great. Okay. Oh, so I feel mem- like this is a memory memories. we want to tap into. Let's start with <laughs> that specific memory. Do you have memory of moving into the apartment? Yes. Well? Okay. I definitely remember Before? earlier than that, but I don't know the specifics. Dan came to a playwriting workshop I was doing yes. at one point, which wasn't very good because at that point it I was, was like, what was am I doing? Good. It was the first writing workshop I'd ever kind of run. So mm. I was a bit fumbly. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know them at that point, but then we met later down the timeline mm-hmm. at the basement? I think so. Through, potentially through Joni or potentially through Borny? I think Joni. Yeah. I think Joni and Amanda Grace Leo. Okay. Mm-hmm. So through theatre. Shout out Amanda. Yeah. Shout out Amanda Grace Leo. <laughs> Cabaret star. And Joni. And Joni. 
I don't know Joni, but shout out. Shout out. <laughs> shout out Joni. But I'd say we met through theatre circles rather than poetry circles at mm-hmm. that point because I wasn't mm-hmm. doing spoken word at that point in my in the timeline. Yeah. And then at some point I had moved out of my apartment and I was looking for a place to live and we had just become friends and I was like, oh, oh no, <laughs> I don't know what to do in, this, in between moving out and moving back to Christchurch period of two months and Dan had a spare room. Mm. And I think mm. we were friends at that point, but mm-hmm. not Still necessarily, new. yeah, new friends. Mm. And then through living together, we became very close. Mm. 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 Yeah. I want to hear about the specific memory mm. of him moving in. And the alien dildo? Yeah, I want to know the alien okay. dildo story. <laughs> I think the audience wants to hear the alien uh, dildo story. So let's be very clear. It's not... It's not not mine, but um, <laughs> but it's not not been in my book. <laughs> it was a prop that I had just held onto from a short film I made, <laughs> and the short film, film can't it? seem to get rid of it. It was a sort of Cronenbergian short body horror film uh-huh. about someone who orders, who's not satisfied by their partner, orders a dildo, and it happens to kind of be alive. And it infects them and then they become mutated. It was sort of like schlock horror homage. Yeah, wow. Can we find this on Vimeo or something? Probably if you have the password. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so I had kept it when I lived in Auckland, even though it was from when I was in Christchurch studying filmmaking. And it's just in (laughs) my room. And then I had to lug it with me and... I was like, oh, I got this thing that was kind of funny to hold on to for a while. But then, you know, after like five years, you're like, oh, God, I don't know what to do. Do I get rid of it? No, I just keep. <laughs> How do I dispose of it? How do I dispose dildo? of it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, where's the wiki how for that? How do you recycle an alien dildo? Mm. But essentially made out of liquid latex. Great. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Mm. Fantastic. Mm. But yeah, we became friends, close friends through mm. living together. And mm. at that point, I wasn't a spoken word poet, but was still very much a theatre maker, playwright, and that's mm. kind of our connection. Mm-hmm. And you were doing, because I'd seen Dan almost win <laughs> Auckland ah. Regionals, I think, before we moved in or around the time yeah, that would I be, moved in with you. That would when be was my that? First, I think that would have been my first year doing poetry. When I was think. that? What year was that? That was 2017? I think. I think so. I would Maybe, have been in Switzerland at the time. I think, yeah. Th- three years ago. I'm mm. not sure how long ago three years ago is. But yeah. It was 2018. Yeah. And I'd say watching Dan and watching that community, because that was my first encounter with the community mm. in any actual social level, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is really cool. I wasn't necessarily thinking, oh, I'll do this. But I was like, hmm, mm. could I? Right? Mm. That, that became a question. And then some opportunities to kind of, do similar things came up mm. and I was like, okay, I know a few people who do it. Mm. Let's give this a crack. Because mm. your first poem, I remember your first poem was the triptych. Is that right? Hmm. The kind of love, I don't know how much oh, well, they were like, detail you know, yeah. <laughs> go into queer love and other substances. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a nice title. Um, yeah. <laughs> It was a diptych, rather. It was only two of them. But it was the oh. one and then the second one. But those are the... Okay, let's rewind. <laughs> <laughs> let's go back. Yeah. So when I returned back to Auckland briefly, that's when I started... <sighs> the timeline's very murky. Mm. I was living with Dan, Yeah. did a show, 
at the basement theatre and then I went back to Christchurch. Yeah. And then that time I wasn't sure whether I was coming back to Auckland or not. Right. But I got some funding to do a show, came back, and around that time I started mm-hmm. experimenting with spoken word. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a poem about a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was sort of my first proper spoken word poem, so yeah. to speak. Mm-hmm. And that was performed at a event called for Proudly Asian Theatre. They did a spoken word night. Nice. Spoken word night. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and then I started like using that poem in – like the sub spaces, I yeah. guess. And I was like, oh, people like this. I should keep doing this. And then it was probably like another year before I actually engaged with like competing. But mm. yeah, that was like my dipping the toe in the spoken word waters mm. moment. Because I think we got close mostly by talking theater. Mm. I think we're both, we were both really into the long critical conversations over a drink after Mm. shows talking about kind of structure and process and dramaturgy Mm. Um, real drama geeks real Mm. drama drama geeks and like Mm. theory i hadn't met anyone who liked talking theory before i met nathan Mm. and we would have kind of long jokey drunk conversations about that yeah for a few months yeah like it was a whole thing of after a show we'd go get Sometimes not even like a beverage, beverage, but like a tea, I think. Yeah. We'd because have, there was that dessert place yeah. in the Azir Center that a lot of us would converge around for a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah. There was like a, a spot of the post-show spot where, you know, you weren't in the foyer or near the basement. So you could kind of talk about the show mm. quite openly by being mm-hmm. a bit further away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's cute. Mm. Love the idea of just geeking out with someone, you know. Love. Mm. The idea of just like finding this, it's not really much of a niche, but like, you know, that that sort of like, yeah, creative niche with someone then just being able to be like, let's dive into this and talk about things that nobody else is going to be able to understand. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's a really cute little little dynamic. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned Rose as well. Mm. Shout out Rose. Shout out Rose. Northy. Rose Northy. Um, mm. I, I just feel like. You know, whatever, let's bring her into this. How do you know her? <laughs> I saw Rose perform one of her first poems, which is about vinegar, salt and vinegar chips, yes. way back, way back when. Mm. And this was before she started slamming as well mm. and was kind of a nervous performer mm. at The Thirsty Dog. Mm. Mm. And my flatmate at the time was quite enamored by her. Mm-hmm. And so we went up to talk to her and then – that was sort of a moment in time. But then when I re-engaged with the scene, I was like, oh, that's Rose. And at that point, she'd really started engaging with spoken word and she'd improved mm-hmm. so much. And I was like, whoa, I saw you maybe a year or two ago and you were kind of, I guess, humoring the idea, but now you're just fully in it. Mm-hmm. It was quite amazing seeing this like gap in time mm-hmm. or noticing this gap in time and this progression over mm-hmm. a year. And you're like, whoa. Who is she? Mm. And after that point, I kind of, we still weren't really friends at that point, mm. but I was aware of her, I guess. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And then I guess just through spoken word stuff, we became closer and closer mm. after I started becoming part of that community, I right. suppose. Because Rose and I, we started slamming in the same year. We oh. are both, we both did our first Auckland kind of Jaffa slams at the same time. Right. Um, yeah. I don't think I know, I think, 
I don't know anyone who kind of throws themselves into their work the same way that Rose does in kind of like all mm. aspects of it mm. as well mm. into like development and performing and marketing and, and mm. just like all different caveats. Mm. Of, She's of a real powerhouse. Mm. She's a real powerhouse. Like, I, don't know professional. Her, I don't know her that well personally, but like I look at her work and I'm just like. <laughs> mm. yeah. Such strong work ethic. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Lovely. And also comes from a place of, yeah, anxiety. And almost <laughs> almost <laughs> dropping out. I, I, I know that because she talks about it quite openly, so I feel okay too. She um, had a few real negative experiences when she started out mm. and she almost stopped. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think it took her a while to find feet in the community and people who really... Because, I mean, she's quite out there and extravagant and... I hate using the word quirky, uh, eccentric. <laughs> She's mm. quite eccentric mm. in her mm. style and mm. just presence. Mm. I think that took a little while for to land with people and then for her right. to build confidence in that as well. Yeah, she needed those champions. Mm. Well. Yeah. But yeah. talk about a performer with a style onto themselves. Mm. I yeah. don't know anyone who performs like Rose. Neither. Mm. Performs all rights like Rose and that's mm. quite a singular thing when mm. – I guess performance style meets content. I find that the kind of most interesting thing about spoken word as a genre, mm. Mm. That, sep- that is what separates it from print poetry, right? Mm. It's mm. your voice being given a vessel that is also your voice. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's more than just reading poetry off the page. Mm. It's, it's like really being able to play with mm. your voice and your performance as part of Mm. Yeah. And the notion of your persona and your brand. I don't love the word brand, but yeah. it's one I'm consciously using more and more because it's a pretty strong signifier mm. because a performance poet is their Clear. brand. People know what it means. Yeah, right? mm. people know what it means. And, you know, yeah. I'm conscious that my brand is a bit like, ooh, I'm a bit chaotic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because like I suppose the, the alternative to using brand would be like your aesthetic yeah. mm. as a kind of encompassing term. For, yeah. Because I like I I'd never and I still don't, I don't think I'd gel with the idea that what works on the page will also work in a performance as well. Yeah. You know, because you are standing there in front of an audience with your brand on full display. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh or you know, or your Oh my god, your brand you know? is showing. Your brand yeah. is <laughs> showing. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god, I can see your brand. I think my Put problem with the word aesthetic is that it's very visual. Mm. Whereas like mm. There is so much more to your performance style than just the way that mm. people mm. see you. There's well, it's also, I guess, I, why I like brand is because I kind of like using it to the point where it becomes meaningless. That use that word and subvert the word and just kind of bludgeon that word yeah. to death. But also <laughs> people do enter a space, if they know your brand or they know about you, they read that mm. when yeah. you perform your poem. Like you can't really – Unless you have no idea who that person is and you close yeah. your eyes. Mm. Yeah. The poem doesn't exist in a vacuum. Like yeah. what you wear tells is part you of your something, right? Tells you so much. It's like yeah. going to nationals and looking at the clothes a poet will wear yeah. is important. It's so important and so interesting, yeah. you know, mm. as yeah. a signifier. And you yeah. go, hmm, this poet knows what they're doing with what they're wearing. Mm. Mm. Even though apparently you're not allowed to use props, costume yeah. is one of the fine lines <laughs> where you can get away with that. It's like, so be as extravagant as possible or not. Yeah. You know? Nude slam. 
Nerds. Clear, clear <laughs> the boundaries. That's what I say. But that's, that's the thing. Like visibility is important, yeah. right? You can't. I think there's sometimes this myth of, oh, I want to turn up into a space, read a poem, everyone will love it, and I'll be the mysterious artistic stranger. Mm. That does not exist. That is mm. not real. Yeah. You make decisions before entering a space. Um, when you're going into it, when you're standing in the back of an open mic, when you go walk up on stage, you know, yeah. every decision that you make tells the audience something, yeah. you know, yeah. and they all matter. That's kind of what I love about theater and what I take from theater into poetry. Every mm. single decision you make tells the audience something about you, even if they don't notice it, mm. even if it's tiny, like mm. what you wear, the way you walk, the way you move. Yeah. Um, what you do before you start a poem. Yeah. You know? They I feel all like this is a up. poetry coaching session right now. I feel like I'm learning so much. I'm just like secretly taking notes over here, being like, what can I take uh, from that's this? So, interesting. so before before <laughs> Go on. One of my little like weird <laughs> things, and I don't I I'd have no idea what the actual effect of it is. Before I used to start a poem in a slam, if it was a funny poem, I always used to check my fly. Before I start, oh my god, oh my what? Sneaky. I, I know, and it doesn't count towards your time. It's yeah. not perf- you're not op- you're not speaking, so it's not a poem. Oh. But everyone laughs when you look down and then look up, and you're like, "Oops, lol, sorry." Wow. Oh my god. And gosh. you set a tone. Wow. You set. A tone. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's so interesting. <laughs> I'm giving some insight into how yeah. manipulative I can be but I like that's the kind of that's the kind of detail that theater makers go into when they're yeah. making theater and I think poets can learn a lot by doing the same and some poets do anyway right yeah like, totally if totally. you've ever seen Rose, Muhammad you know Rose does with everything mm, Eric, totally. Eric Sokai yeah does I think with everything the three poets I find really fascinating to watch in terms of doing the opposite of the fly chick thing which is like creating kind of breathing space around their poems mm. are mm. Muhammad, mm. Takunda, and mm. Eric, right? Mm. They'll literally- Shout out to All three all of them. All three oh. of those. But oh. they're so conscious of giving time and space before a poem to reset it, reset the space. Oh. Mm. Uh, I Honestly, I admire them in such a huge way for that. It's incredible. And I just like, I'm not there to be able to do that breathing room is not my forte. Same though. (laughs) But also breathing breathing room is a privilege as well. Go on. I will throw that out there. Yeah, go on. on. I how where where do I start in this? As uh, the only kind of the only kind of facilitation or teaching spaces I enter into are usually Mm with um people in disability or mental health spaces. Mm. Mm. Um, and actually this goes way back into my own kind of history as well. Um, I remember a teacher once, and actually it was kind of the thing that spurred me to do poetry in the first place. I remember a theater teacher telling me once, anxiety is the antithesis to theater. This was after oh. I told him that I was feeling anxious and <laughs> Backstory, I'd just been diagnosed with uh, psychosis for the first time. But <laughs> that aside, mm. I remember a lecturer telling me that. And then what followed was him saying, if you're anxious, you shouldn't be doing this. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
that's the attitude that's the attitude of a lot of theaters not so theater makers not so much yeah. in new zealand it's a little bit more relaxed than that in the uk very much so mm. and i remember it it sparked a kind of anger that made me that i've definitely carried with me mm. and i think i still have in some regards although mm. it's muted now mm. when i say that creating breathing space is a privilege some people walk into a space like that like a slam or a performance event or a stage or wherever mm. and and they belong there mm. and for them it's such a fight for survival mm. as soon as they walk into it they need to do this and they need to do well otherwise you know there's this mm. fear of loss and anxiety you know mm. um and they don't create breathing space when they perform mm. but you get the sense of them fighting Mm. and sometimes you get the sense of someone fighting to be on stage and it's too much or it's mm. uncomfortable and you're like mm. Mm, okay there needs to be some kind of work that goes on yeah but you know like we know we all know when someone goes onto an open mic and their emotions are kind of welling up and we're yeah. like oh this needs this is not this space yeah um but i work but when i teach whenever i'm lucky enough to do that i work with people who predominantly are in that space mm. that space of overwhelm mm. and they don't create breathing space but they deserve to be on a mic mm. and they deserve to be engaged with. And so often they're not. Mm. I don't know. That feels like mm. a very long tangent to where we started from. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I totally understand what you mean. Where like being able to create, if, if I can sort of unpack it for myself, what you're saying is that being able to create breathing space also requires a sort of, Sense of entitlement has a really negative connotation, but I what I actually mean is like mm -hmm. a sense of entitlement to that space because mm -hmm. that way you can sit in the silence in that space mm -hmm. and be like, yes, it's okay for me to be here. Yeah. Whereas if you don't feel entitled to be in that space, you're mm -hmm. like, I need to get in here because <laughs> somebody's going to pull me off the stage, essentially. You know, there's that yeah. sort of feeling. Sometimes self-confidence isn't earned. Sometimes self-confidence is just something that you are blessed with. You know, some people have had it, some people have earned it, some people are born with it, some people have uh, have had it taken away and have mm. had to kind of fight back mm. into it. And it's a really interesting space when people mm. feel the need to fight yeah. for it because it creates problems in different ways of working that yeah. I think are interesting. That's yeah. where I spend a lot of my time, mm. I think. But I think yeah. for some of those artists, you know, the creating a breathing space thing isn't also necessarily born from feeling like they belong, it's simply a tool as well. Right? Yeah. I think for some of them it's, I'm giving you the impression that I belong here. I'm giving you the impression that you should listen to me. Mm. Mm. I'm faking it so that mm. you believe in me, right? Mm. And I don't do that. Mm. I kind of, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> I sort of inhabit my nervous energy and turn it into kind of like a frazzled state of, I don't boom, really, here I am. Boom, yeah. here I am. <laughs> it's a very like, yeah, it's very frenetic. I, I find mm. my, my energy very frenetic, very physical, very present, mm. but not necessarily in a focused way. And then hopefully I find like a moment of liveness, mm. I think. Because like I would say that about you as well. I, oh, I, and I kind of hope that's okay as well. Like I do. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly a turn on the camera. I... I wouldn't say that you're a poet that creates breathing space, but when mm. you step up on a mic, like you know exactly what you're there to say. And you can tell, I think one of the things I really love about watching you is that every decision is 
made and you are so confident in the fact that you know each decision that you've made and the order that you've made those decisions in. And you can kind of have a, you have a sense of that purpose when mm. you're on stage. Thank you. I think. I think purposefulness is definitely a thing I try to inhabit, even if it's kind of messy and chaotic. Mm. It's, yeah, mm. intentionality, right? Mm. The thing of doing something because that's what you want to do. Mm. Like, mm. no, not leaving things to accident, I guess, mm. is actually very part of my, mm. my desire anyway, my mm. desired effect. I think as a performance poet. Mm. But yeah, I, I guess whether you are a poet who can inhabit a space with calm, coolness or frazzled chaos, I think intentionality is sort of the key. Doing it because that's how you want to be portrayed or doing it because you enjoy that. Mm. 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 I think me trying to create breathing space would feel uncomfortable yeah. and I think people would sense that. Yeah, because it's not part of your brand. It's not part of my brand. It's not part of my brand. <laughs> <laughs> How would yeah. you define your brand, Dan? My brand has shifted really recently. Oh, I think. Okay, because I gotta say, like, <laughs> what do um, you think? Well, I mean, it depends is. what you define as recently, because like I've only been seeing you perform for what a year, going on a year, not even a year. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. and. Yeah, I know you don't like compliments, but let's just call it a description <laughs> of what I saw. Um, <laughs> seeing you perform was so much um, – you, your energy instantly took up the whole room. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like you, you really you really filled the space with your energy and everybody, at least from the way that I experienced it, felt like everybody was like in that space with you. Um mm. So that sort of that's really lovely. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> um, so that's how I've always sort of perceived your brand as someone who, yeah, can create this um, sort of in inclusive space that's like quite uh, like an experience for everyone. Oh. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you. Sorry, I just, no, that, just, that yeah, that's really I think lovely. that's super accurate, though. I, I think. Dan Goodwin's brand is sort of a bigness and energy. Mm. You know, I, I use the term maximalist to describe them Ooh. every now and then. But their poetry and their energy is so big and it's not minimalist and it's not. <laughs> That's the first time I've been called big. <laughs> no comment from me. I wouldn't know. There's but. their poetry brand. <laughs> On fleek. But yeah, it really takes takes up space and the, the turns of phrase really take you somewhere. They go somewhere. Mm. Unexpected often. They're mm. very digressive. Mm. Mm. Oh, thank you. I that's I feel like that size is a really recent thing for me. I think that's what I mean when I say that that's the shift. Okay. Because I also I also don't I don't know if you've seen me slam yet. I have a really difficult time capturing that comfort mm. and that size and that kind of ease mm. when it's mm. a competition. I get mm. in my head a lot. Mm. When I started slamming the very first year when I did it, like 2017, my brand was very, very mental health, mm. very mental health focused, very angry mm. um, or fueled by kind of anger and very pointed 
Point um, in studios, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, Point in so, studios. <laughs> um, but also very funny. And I think that's a consistent yeah. thing with your performance style, but also your content is you are one of the funniest spoken word poets that I know. Mm. Oh, shit. Mm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know how to work an audience. Not knowing how to mm. take a compliment. Oh. Mm. Mm. Oh. Bring them into the space, then work them. Mm. <laughs> and see, I don't know how to. I don't know how to respond to that. Other than saying, <laughs> "Thank you" never feels good enough. I think that's the thing. Thank you never feels good enough. Is that a poem? <laughs> it sounds like a poem. <laughs> Is this improv? <laughs> Are we deciding? Are we together creating a new world, new word instead of thank you? That's Ooh. a better word than thank you. Oh. Actually, Jen, and you know what it is. I feel like I connect and I thank people more when I perform on stage than off stage. And I feel like sometimes I worry that people are really disappointed when they meet me off stage <laughs> after seeing me perform poetry because I I feel that like I genuinely like sometimes feel like I have that ease and that. Mm. Um, conversation in a space mm. and I love that that's the reason I think I do mm. poetry at all in the first place is to have mm. that kind of feeling of connection mm. um, and I feel like sometimes off stage I struggle to get that same feeling mm. and just I, when I say that I don't take compliments well I feel like that's sometimes it that's sometimes what I mean on stage I can feel the kind of connection mm. and off when it's a compliment, when people are being really lovely, mm. sometimes it feels like thank you isn't enough and it feels mm. like I'm not giving enough. I'm not mm. reciprocating that energy and that I don't know how. Mm. So that's a real kind of mm. thing for me. Interesting. Um, yeah. We didn't really give you a chance to describe what your what your brand is now. If your brand was initially a- angry and pointed, mm. what is it now, would you say? Um. I think I still I still like the comedy. I still like undercutting comedy with some real, with some real like ooh, contra not controversial. That's really not it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like tackling meaty subjects. Mm. I think, mm. and I still like talking about mental health. I still like talking quickly. Mm. Growing mm. up Scottish, I always got told that I didn't speak well. Like mm. spoke kind of like an animal. Um, so that's uh i don't i actually don't know if people know i a lot of my poems are quite quick quick Mm. fast paced and people Mm. are always like oh yeah it's because you're funny you want to be funny right and i'm like oh because it is on purpose but i do it because i used to get told that i didn't yeah scottish accent you don't speak correctly you speak like you're of a lower a lower kind of i think definitely with a new zealand audience as well hear your accent and think of comedy because you know <laughs> media butt of jokes you know yeah well you do you hear a scottish accent and you do you think butt of jokes yeah. you think dumb kind of animalistic um drinks a lot yeah um blokish very blokish yeah. i quite and i quite like <laughs> i like turning that on its head yeah i like turning that on its head yeah like and being queer and a little bit mm. femme and a little bit mm. <laughs> you know mm. lets you do that yeah. i think um, but mm-hmm. I also know that just thinking about your brand and poems that I've heard from you that like you have poems which are soft and sad and, you know, um, mm. difficult emotional spaces to sit in as well. They're not just angry. Sometimes mm. they're just, mm. you know, uh, 
upsetting. Upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> and I will leave you with that. You're welcome. Bye. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think I like to think that I've mellowed down. Mm. There, are, I used to get real up in arms around people using like crazy or insane um, mm. as like adjectives mm. and different other kinds of ableist kind of stuff. And I still, I like, I still do. That's still a conversation. Yeah. I've not forgotten about it, but yeah. I've mellowed down a lot in my mm. reaction towards mm. people and mm. backgrounds, and that affects my poetry as well. Yeah. 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 Um, that's something that I've been trying to challenge in myself as well. Like, man, the word crazy is so embedded in my vocab. Same. It's not all goods. It is not uh, all goods. <laughs> I think it's I think it's hard because words like that are about like maybe a decade off seriously being talked about in a social context about mm. removing them from like yeah. our vocabulary. Yeah. And until that point, no one knows. No yeah. one knows, you know, like yeah. everyone kind of understands the idea of, oh, I shouldn't say that. Yeah. But it's so automatic and there's no like external stimuli telling us to remove it. You yeah. Know? Mm. Yeah. I only, yeah. I'm only conscious of using the word crazy too, I guess, um, flippantly because I'm friends with Dan, you know, mm. otherwise it is a word also in my vocabulary that I used to describe so many things, mm. negative and positive. Mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And actually, I think that's what used to spur my poetry on a lot in the beginning. Mm. Because I felt like, because I knew that that kind of conversation wasn't in the public yeah. consciousness. Yeah. I used to feel quite alone because of that. Yeah. And that, that's the thing. People always think that, I mean, that, oh, I, I'm telling you off because you said crazy. I'm offended. Mm. I'm not offended. Mm. I'm lonely. Yes. Oh. <laughs> And, oh my gosh. you know, like when you use words like that, mm. you're not being offensive. You're showing me that you're not engaging with a world that I'm deeply embedded in. Yeah. And that informs everything that I do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And mm. so that feeling of loneliness and isolation mm. fueled a lot of, yeah, mm. fueled a lot of my early works. Mm. And that's the crux of, I guess, performance poetry, I think. Mm. To carve your identity into the world to carve yourself into a space and mm. to carve yourself into existence, mm. you know, using yeah. your words, but using your body as well. Mm. Especially for people who have often been so displaced, whether through, I guess, ableist or patriarchal or through whiteness, you know, mm. to be able to carve yourself into existence is actually a very profoundly powerful thing. Mm. And one that anyone can do that, but you're not told or taught that you can. Like yeah. I didn't realize I could do that until the last two, three years. Yeah. You do that so well. That's, so, sorry, I don't know where that just fell out. I remember, we were talking about Rose Northey being a kind of genre unto herself. And she mm. is. I love mm. Rose. She's phenomenal. Mm. You are the same thing though. You do the same thing. And I feel like people often don't think that because your poetry isn't like, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm There's gonna... gesticulations happening. Oh, <laughs> so would... much gesticulating. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to put my foot in it. I, you're, I wouldn't say your poetry is big, but you step on stage and you speak and it's like Nathan is speaking and I could like turn the other way and I would know that Nathan is speaking because of the, because of the stories that you carve and because of the narratives that you tell and because mm. of how specific they are. Mm. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, thank you. You're not, even if thank you isn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we call in the industry coming full circle. <laughs> <laughs> Reincorporation. <laughs> um, looking at the time, how are we doing for haiku? Do we have haiku to share yeah. with one another? Oh, gosh. Should I go first? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> have you got it ready to go, Nathan? Yeah, yeah it's, pretty, it on it's on Evernote. I don't know why it's Evernote. Which <laughs> is a weird habit. Is this a paid promotion? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> For my brand. My yeah. brand is Evernote Poet. <laughs> okay, so Nathan's poem about Dan. Peeps think we have banged. That would make them incorrect. But I totes would though. Hey, oh. <laughs> that's compliments. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me feel better about mine as well. As well. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> uh, it's not also quite lewd. Great, love it. Lewd. Mine's not that lewd. That was very tasteful, actually. <laughs> tasteful lewd. Um, Nathan Joe has great control of his arsehole. He is a sewer grate. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. But sewer grate also spelt B-U-T-T-R-E-A. <laughs> oh, but. I thought you meant the but was spelt B-U-T-T-R-E-A. No. Oh. 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 Missed opportunities. G-R-E-A-T. Nice. I, I, you know what? Now I'm going to do a second one because you did that. Do it. Yes. Shred yes. me. Funnier than farts with a jawline that cuts glass. Get a real job, homo. Oh, I said no hate speech. <laughs> no, I couldn't help myself. I feel like sewer grade is actually way more offensive. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your poetry and your wisdom and essentially just like coaching me on how to do a slam and coaching the audience on how to do a slam. Come to the slam, guys. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Thank hey, you. Thank you. Thank you.